0: Classic catches. Who's next? This is Bluey's Brisbane.
1: (laughs) Who's next? Well, g'day, it's Justin here, and welcome to another edition of Bluey's Brisbane, the podcast that goes behind the scenes of Bluey and shows off the real life world of our favourite healer family. Now, I hope you're all ready for some crackling, a Christmas swim, and a few classic catches because it's that time of year. So, from Lou and I, we just wanted to say a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. We hope that however you celebrate this time of year, that you're spending it with those you love
2: most.
3: Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Merry Christmas!
2: Christmas. And here's to Bartleby. Yeah, Bartleby! Welcome to the family, mate. Dad.
1: (laughs) Well, the year's almost up, and what a year it's been in the Blueyverse. It seems like Bluey just keeps getting bigger and bigger i mean the year started off with a bang of course we had the for real life healer house popping up in paddington that's an inner city suburb of brisbane where the healers live mid-year us aussies got another drop of season three episodes and the year finished off in style when bluey took over new york city now i think that's as big as it's gotten for the healer family because of course we had the bluey stage show live on stage at Madison Square Garden.
3: Congratulations, playing MSG is no small feat. Yeah.
1: Well, we only do the iconic venues. Like Obviously. This Sydney Opera House in Australia, uh-huh. and you know, Madison Square Garden was the next obvious choice. We had the voices of Bandit and Chili in Dave McCormack and Melanie Zanetti finally meeting face-to-face for the first time. Of course, about as far away from Brisbane as you can get right and they enjoyed the company of Jimmy Fallon himself when they appeared live on The Tonight Show.
4: Well, Bluey's one of the, I, I think, one of the most... Uh, it's the best show on TV right now, Bluey. I mean, there's... There's Tonight Show. Did I did hear that. And
2: who are your favourite characters?
4: <laughs> oh, yeah, well, of course, Banda and Coachelli, of course, my favourite. Better than Bluey and Bingo, of course. Uh, but I think the show is... Uh, it's so funny. It's, it's clever. It's, uh, it's, it's game-changing. I, think it's, I, I love it so much. I've seen more of you guys and heard more of your voices than I've heard my own voice in my household. And, <laughs> and the kids aren't even watching. It's just me watching this, yeah. It was clear
1: that Jimmy's a pretty big fan of Bluey, and if that wasn't enough, Bluey was also featured in the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. Now, that really was the ultimate game of Keepy-Uppy, with Bluey as a giant 16-metre-tall balloon. And in amongst that, the rest of the world got the first part of Season 3, which has got some of my new favourite episodes in Explorers.
5: How many wheels have we got?
1: Four. Lulu, hold on to your strawberries. We're coming, Jim! And family meeting.
2: Hey, Bingo, pull my finger. Okay. Bingo, no! Well, fair enough. But on the morning of this morning, I did not bake a brownie.
1: And of course, there was a little bit of a -a tete-a-tete between Disney and Bluey fans in the States when they refused to air family meeting. Thankfully, that got resolved, and the US fans got to see Bandit's alleged fluffy.
2: Okay, okay. I fluffied. In your child's face face the face is a bum level it's hard not to
1: and look it's been a massive year on this podcast so we thought it was the perfect time to have a look back on the year that was and bust out a few of our favorite bits some classic catches if you will First up is Joe Twist. Now, Joe is a Brisbane-based composer who's part of the Bluey music team. Now, he's also worked and studied in places like New York and L.A. Uh, Joe has written music for a stack of Bluey episodes, including Squash, Seesaw, Movies, Whale Watching and A Heap More. But it was his work on Joe Brum's favourite episode, Calypso, that he reckons is some of his favourite work.
2: Has there been a favourite one to work on for you at all? That's a good question. I was actually thinking about that just last night because I knew we were going to have that conversation. I think it's probably Calypso, funnily enough, which is interesting too because I note that Joe Brum said that that's his favourite episode. Yes, I have heard um, that. And I think just beca- it, it, it's Calypso because I think that was an episode that my instincts, I think, just happened very naturally and that happened to just be really what they wanted for some reason.
5: so can I please have a gnome from my village? Well, let's have a look.
2: I think I loved well, it too because to it was this sort of continuous musical piece that just underscores the joy of playing. Mm, you know, when yeah. you watch that, you just, you really think, oh, yeah, when you're in school, like, and you're and you've got all these things you can play with and these and you could let your imagination run wild. It there's just such a such a nostalgia for that and a and a curiosity and a, a freedom to it. I you know, it's 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 a different episode to a lot of others, as you know. I mean, Mum and Dad aren't even in it. It's like it's one of those school That's right, episodes. Yeah. There's others like that too, I know, but I think early on that was one of those episodes. And I just love that it that it was sort of telling all the different stories and cutting back and forth, but there was this, the music needed to sort of create a sort of progression like that. And um, yeah, I just remember, you know, um, going with the flow on that. And, you know, of course, there was still lots of collaboration and, and touching up and you know, it's such a high quality show. There's lots of finessing to do, which is great, but it just felt very natural for me. And I just, and, and you know, to go to what you were saying before about, you know, the collaboration with Joff, like, um, that was very much an episode too where I feel like he was like, do your thing, Joe, you know, really do your thing. And, and they loved it and I was thrilled and everything. So, yeah, I still like that one.
1: <laughs> Next up on our favourite moments from 2022 is when we headed on down to the Whale Water Park on the foreshore at Wynnum, the setting for one of the parties in Pass the Parcel. Now, we spoke to Brisbane radio legend Spencer Housen about his childhood growing up in Winnerman Manley and his friendship with another future radio and TV star, Kyle Sanderlands.
0: When you realised you were making radio shows... You were writing radio shows and recording them with a mate in the school ground who, ca- who was none other than Kyle Sanderlands. So, you know, Man- Wynn Manly a little bit of some radio greats here that so many people <laughs> know around, not only in Brisbane, Queensland, but also Australia. Yeah. You know, what memories do you have of making radio shows with Kyle?
6: Very vivid ones. Um, so 32 Oakley Street, Manly was our house. <laughs> it's not there now. His is I won't say the exact address, but on Haylock Street, um, just around the corner. And so the the you know our BMXs regularly did the the route between the two, <laughs> but but we would sit on my back deck at, at thirty two Oakley Street, overlooking our pool, and there was a type old typewriter, and we would script radio show. We would sit there and write full scripts for for radio shows, and then take and I had a cassette recorder that I'd been. Um, Given as I came out to Australia, the same one I recorded the letters to my dad on, and we would take that to the school, Manly State School, and we would rope all our friends in, and we would uh, create radio shows, Kyle oh, and yeah. I, on on cassette. Yep. And it was probably that was eighty two and eighty three that we were that we were great friends. And then, you know, to be honest, you know, he we went to different schools, and then and we bumped into each other along the way and in fact he was meant to be lecturing doing a guest zoom lecture for my students just last week but then he's been sick and he's been he's been off air so that didn't work out so we sort of we've stayed in touch and he very kindly referenced my rating success in his book he, there was a line something like every time i see that we're number 1 in sydney and i see sp- Spencer's number one in Brisbane, I, you know, i I love that or something. I thought, oh, that's. Yeah. he didn't need to do that. He didn't need to mention me. So I, I, I don't want you to think we've been best friends or that we are best friends, but we were then. We were, we hung out with each other all the time.
1: Now, Spencer, I'm, I'm pretty sure Kyle has mentioned uh, a Rolls-Royce in his childhood and famously he's got a Rolls-Royce now. He can afford one.
6: Yeah, he, he actually, he, he when he was interviewed by Andrew Denton on Enough Rope, he... He attributed um, my mum and our Rolls Royce as being the reason that he wanted to um, make money. So we, yeah, we had we had a 1962 Silver Cloud, and um, he didn't
0: have money though, but he had a Rolls Royce. Well, we did. We did an old Rolls Royce. Yeah, that's
6: right. It was an old. It was an. Granted. And um, anyway, Kyle just yeah, he he loved all that. And, and when he was at high school, and we went to a different high school. But for his school formal or semi-formal or something like a dance anyway, he came to my mum and said, would you chauffeur my date and I? And she thought that was hilarious. So she went and got herself a chauffeur's hat and she chauffeured Kyle to, to the dance. But later, yeah, he, he said that he wanted a Rolls Royce like, you know, like, like Spencer's family had a Rolls Royce. So it's all, it's all our fault. <laughs>
1: Now, hands down, one of our favourite memories of this year is when the For Real Life Healer House was unveiled in the inner city suburb of Paddington. Now, this location is totally authentic because Paddington and the neighbouring suburb of Red Hill are heavily featured in Bluey. Now, the house was done as a promotion for Airbnb with one lucky family getting to stay in the house for a night and we were fortunate enough to be given a guided tour by the team behind the house. So, thanks so much to the good folk from Airbnb bbc studios and ludo studio and while we were there it was great to catch up with another bluey super fan we caught up with michael from bluey locations on instagram who lou spoke to in the front yard of the for real life healer house
0: we kind of really love you you know you run a really good insta feed and you are you are the investigative journalist of the healer world um, because you're always out there getting those real life locations how does it feel to be here at the healer home here in paddington
3: Uh, I mean, it's a little sort of surreal, um, yeah, you don't sort of expect when you're watching a show that it's gonna sort of come alive before your eyes. One of the funny things I was uh, saying before was I'm friends with the editor from the first series, Michael Griffin, who's left the show, but he also, he voiced one of the characters on Kids.
4: Can I help you?
3: I wish you could, mate. And we were messaging back when Disney got the rights and saying it wouldn't be amazing if um, the house was recreated at Disneyland one day. <laughs> uh, but this is one better. It's been recreated in Disneyland in its own home, which is, yeah, really something special.
0: Oh, you went to Disneyland. I love it. <laughs> one of the things we hear from US fans of the show, and also the UK fans, so not the expats, I mean, you know, English POMs. Is that you know? Is there a theme park? And we keep saying no. Brisbane is your theme park. You can you know self-drive all of these places. Yeah. Um, but now that you've you know there's, there's a place to go. Do you think that's actually even more special than a theme park?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I I totally agree with what you what you the point you made about you know you don't really need to recreate bluey because if you live in Brisbane and you watch the show you know they don't just get the imagery of the of the place they just get the vibe of the place you know you really get a feel with episodes like Fruit Bat of what it's actually like to live in Brisbane at sundown Um, yeah yeah, it's amazing and the colour palettes they use and everything it's almost like visually they've captured the the climate and and things like that as well it's really quite special yeah so I like the fact that this house I believe is only here temporarily because then we can go back to the whole place being basically you know Joe Brum's headspace and his artistic team and the whole you know team behind everything about the show including you know the music and um and the characterizations and the voices and the details just goes back to being bringing alive on the screen you know what's the lived experience for families you know in this part of the world yeah, yeah.
0: I like that. It goes back to Joe Brum's headspace, but I can't rent for a night, Joe Brum's <laughs> headspace. But talk to me, Joe, we'll settle on a sum, but um, <laughs> this is just an amazing idea. I think that you can just, you know, rent this for a night. I think we're going to break the internet and possibly the app of Airbnb when this goes I live. I was
3: wondering that. Yeah, I was thinking the internet's going to crash when they release this on Airbnb. I don't know if they've quite got any idea of what's coming their way. Yeah. <laughs> a
0: lot of people promising, a, you know, the RSI on their refresh finger um, on that day.
3: Yeah. And like
0: we've, had, we've got
3: velvet rope, we've got security
0: guards that let us through, very VIP. But what I know, it really
3: is, it's the VIP, it's the red carpet experience we're getting here. I was very impressed, yeah.
0: But uh, what was the main you know, highlights for you? Like getting the details, what did you love about the details of the house? Um,
3: well, firstly, the highlights for me, the colour palette. I mean, you watch it in the show, but actually to stand and be surrounded oh. by that beautiful colour palette is amazing. Um yeah the details though like everywhere you look at something which you've seen in the show or the corner of your eye and haven't really acknowledged then you're like oh of course um like the the portrait of the granddad on the wall in his army uniform mm-hmm. um the the pineapple uh, the gold pineapple um as the um decoration in the in the living room um it, the little bee, the big bee on the girls beds um stuff like that yeah just amazing
0: i'm just i'm Stuffing my face with duck cake. Yeah, we
3: got complimentary duck cake, and I—there's squawks of my one-year-old Luca who approved of the duck cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's absolutely delicious. No, and I—I
0: I think too. We're standing here beside the gnomes, and I think everyone has commented on walking past these. It's like I need to
3: get my hands on a pair of these. Yeah, I'm surprised um, they're still here. Um, yeah, I think someone would have done a snatch and run so far, but well, everything, everything seems.
0: Cards we got left. You know, <laughs> Luca. Luca can job. be a distraction. <laughs> that'd be all
3: right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Thank you for talking to us today, Michael. I know you have to run. It's a pleasure. And you're also <laughs> juggling toddlers while you're Anytime. here. Anytime. Thank you very much.
3: No worries. The podcast showing off the best of Brisbane for real life.
7: This is Bluey's Brisbane with Justin Alou.
1: Now, it's pretty well known that Bandit Healer is an inspiration to dads the world over. And this Father's Day, I got to have some pretty interesting chats about how Bandit has become the top dog when it comes to being a dad. Dr. Justin Coulson is the founder of Happy Families and one of Australia's top parenting experts. And I asked him, was it important to break the mold of dumb TV dads
4: and portray a positive role model for fathers? A couple of things about Bandit. First off, I don't think that there's any attempt by the makers of Bluey to make Bandit perfect. And in fact, Bandit is not perfect. It's pretty clear as you're watching that Bandit can get kind of annoyed, uh, be a little bit short and sharp, abrupt, blunt with the kids.
2: Bingo, let go, mate. Yeah, hey, look, I'll just explain it. What you need to give me is... Bingo, let go!
4: Bandit does kind of just want to do Bandit's own thing. Like, uh, I wouldn't mind sitting down and reading the paper and not being disturbed by you kids go and play somewhere else kind of thing.
2: All right, girls, who wants to sit on the couch and watch cricket? Not me!
0: No way!
4: In terms of our picture of what a perfect parent is, Bandit doesn't fit the mould, and I think that's actually what makes Bandit Perfect. So if I'm watching a Bluey episode, what I tend to see is bandit taking what psychologists would call a minimal sufficiency approach to parenting. That is, I'm going to do enough to have a sufficient impact, but that's all I'm going to do. Like, I'm not going to raise the bar so high that I've got to be a helicopter parent, a gentle parent, an attachment parent, a free range parent, and all those other things all at once. I'm just going to be the present father. I'm just going to be the present parent. And so long as the kids are okay, I don't actually need to get involved at the minimal sufficiency paradigm. And I really like the way they portray that, but with that comes some other advantages from a parenting point of view, but also for the kids. So there's kind of, I, I guess, associated with it, there's what I would call a middling level of, a, a, I was going to say attachment, but it's probably more a middling level of detachment. it's not really involved, but is present. And there's a whole lot of research that shows that when kids have their autonomy, when they're able to act for themselves, when they're the ones that are in control of the decisions that they're making, but there's a parent who's around, who's hovering, not not hovering in a helicopter sense, but hovering as in a, I'm present if you need me kind of sense. That's the sense that I get when I watch Bandit in Bluey. Middling detachment, present, minimal sufficiency, but also a couple of other things struck me. Number one, fun and engaged. When Bandit needs to be there, <laughs> he's there. And there's there's kind of a, a really easy nature to the way that he interacts with the kids. Doesn't talk down to them, doesn't ignore them, doesn't think he's better than them, doesn't go with any power plays, just talks to them like they're people that he really enjoys chatting with and can be himself with. Knows how to hold firm on limits. You see this again and again in Bluey. Bandit has an expectation of where the kids are supposed to be. And what I love about Bandit's expectations is they're pretty well in line with the developmental reality of where the kids are. And and this is so important because as as parents, we often expect way too much of our kids emotionally. We don't usually expect enough of them from a physical capacity, but we, we expect way too much of them emotionally. And Bandit doesn't tend to do that. Bandit's expectations are about right, holds firms on the limits because they seem to be pretty well appropriate, but allows loads of space and autonomy for the kids. It's just such a great way to portray an engaged involved dad who gets that some structure and some autonomy are both important for for the kids
1: and off the back of that chat with dr justin Coulson came a conversation with us filmmaker joe Gajunas who was in australia interviewing people and doing research about that very topic the negative way that dads are portrayed on screen and in the media
5: and why it should change Bandit is I, he is one of the a really unique character and I, I use the word unique properly here because I call him kind of like perfectly imperfect you know there's something about him that like when you're you're watching you're like okay this is a dad who is present he's fun he's genuine he makes you love fatherhood and then at the same time he's also making mistakes too but he's making himself accountable he's trying to fix things he recognizes that he's not perfect in this and and look for for basically 75 years of television when what viewers first saw at the beginning of tv you've got like the father knows best the authoritative dad who is you know who's there but only you know to like enforce the rules not really present later in the late 80s and 90s we're getting a bumbling dad a foolish mm, dad yeah, yeah. who who you know is lovable who's funny I laughed these are these are comedies but is largely incapable of doing really the simplest of parenting tasks and then all of that pressure falls on mom and honestly as i'm looking at tv i'm like that's not the dad i want to be none of these dads really represented who i was trying to be for my own son and so when i see bandit i'm like this is something new he is changing things there is a pendulum shift here and you know i don't think it's purposeful but it just as in the writing as his character has developed there's something so honest and lovable but he's capable and that's just really something that's different and i know he gets a little bit of a bad rap for being too perfect like he's gotten some of that criticism and i just say look for 75 years of tv all we've gotten are bumbling authoritative dads we've got a thousand bad dads could we have one good dad can you just back off right now and just like let us have bandit and let's see where this goes
1: and how good is it to meet bluey fans from the other side of the world now speaking of the world we just love the artwork, the visuals, and how the real life world of Brisbane has been turned into the animated world of Bluey's Brisbane. Now, it was absolutely fantastic to catch up with Bluey art director, Costa Kassab, about how he and his team create the Blueyverse.
7: But I think there's a general difficulty, I guess, a uh, satisfying challenge is a positive way that I'd put it, when it comes to taking something as complicated as life and nature and then uh, superimposing it onto a simplified cartoon. So things like trees, for example. Uh, many beginner artists might try to draw every single leaf or like every single detail. Uh, and that is both uh, not very efficient and also it's not very appealing because when even though you know trees have a billion different leaves or little details, um, when we look at them, we kind of just see the whole of them and maybe they might simplify into a big, green or purple or lilac sphere. So I think it's been an interesting journey every time we see something we really want to um, capture like a jacaranda tree or even like a palm tree um, and then trying to find out ways through as many simple shapes and shapes that are filtered through our rounded cube shape language that we use to synchronize the visuals with Bluey. Trying to find ways to capture the essence and the silhouettes of things like Brisbane's palm trees or a jacaranda tree where you can still kind of make out the unique petals on it but it looks different to like a regular gum tree or a Brisbane box tree um,
0: Yes, I the think, shape of the flowers yeah. too, is Those purple lilac blooms. Yes. I mean we're under a jacaranda yeah. now, it's not jacaranda season No. But even poinciana flowers have well, a distinctive shape. Yeah, yeah, it really
7: becomes about distilling everything down to almost like a, a hieroglyphic Version of, of everything that we see, just because, um, yeah, the characters are such sort of simplified versions of dogs, but they still, because I also work with the props and the characters and everything, so th- the same, these same principles apply to those as well, and it's really just about taking, like, something that's really true to those forms or their silhouettes, like maybe there's a certain way that a poodle shape sort of looks, but then obviously, uh, say like a, a corgi has a different body structure and ratio, and it's taking these things that are true, but then trying to strip out everything else that you don't need to put there and then ultimately creating this sort of elegant simplified hieroglyphic or iconic visual that represents what you want but still works harmoniously with the the stylized slightly more simplified bluey language and I, i guess i guess in summary that whole process is always so hard because it just happens with every new episode and every new tree we introduce or even like a new building like the um the sort of vista at the end of ice cream where you sort of have oh, yeah. the, the view from South Bank and you're looking out towards um, the treasury and even like the QT building. Um, and a lot of those are just very idealized spreads of where buildings are, so it's not like you can completely map it. Um, but even that was like a challenge in trying to be like, what elements can I remove from these buildings? Yeah. But then how can they read as the iconic silhouettes that we can read from far away? Um, So I guess that's sort of a catch-all answer, but I guess everything is challenging, but also satisfying.
1: And in an absolute circle of art imitating life, imitating art, imitating life we were able to present Costa with a piece of artwork of the real-life Bluey House as painted by the legendary Brisbane artist, Deborah Hood. Now, Deborah is well-known for artwork featuring the colours of Brisbane, as well as the timber and tin of the Queenslander houses that dot the hills of the inner city. Now, here's what Deborah had to say about painting the real-life Bluey House when we spoke to her earlier this year.
0: I'm just looking at the corner of the Airbnb Bluey House painting that you've done. How long did it take you to do something like that? Um, The Airbnb Bluey House probably took about a week, but most of my paintings that have got the cityscapes with lots and lots and lots of buildings could take anywhere. Well, some of them, I've been doing one for a year now in between other things, but probably if I did eight hours a day, it would take six weeks to do a painting. Amazing. Mm. So there's a lot of work involved in them. And that's why I love doing the Bluey House because it just allowed me to free up the painting process and just enjoy the paint it was, yeah, good fun. And we couldn't end our classic
1: catchers episode with a little nod to Mary Bolling from the Gotta Be Done podcast, who we caught up with at Felon's Brewing on the banks of the Brisbane River for a post-put-down catch-up and a beer or two.
0: I flew in this morning and, yeah, saw jacarandas from the plane and, like, just, you know, a little tear yes. sort of snuck out. Like, it is yeah. such a beautiful time to be in this beautiful city. But particularly... Yes. I'm starting to think maybe Bluey doesn't show enough of Brisbane at night because this is stunning. They're doing the put-down. Yeah. (laughs) And you guys have already done the put-down to be here with me, so I'm so honoured. So shout-out to all our partners who made this happen (laughs) because this is an aberration to our lives, seeing Brisbane after dark.
1: Well, thanks for listening to our favourite moments from 2022. If you've discovered Bluey's Brisbane, the podcast, recently, make sure you check us out on the socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter under the handle Bluey's Brisbane. That's all one word, no apostrophes. And you can send us a message there as well. We'd love to hear from you, and especially if you're coming to Brisbane to see the Bluey sites. Thanks again for listening. Have a Merry Christmas and a very happy New Year.
4: Are you sure you know how to do the crackling, mate? Read the apron! (laughs)